0: Love, talk, radio. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today we'll be chatting with Dr. David Traster about vestibular rehabilitation after concussion. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, Center for Brain Health a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion rehabilitation, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. They've greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. You can find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zellmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I recently released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me and the podcast at FacesofTBI.com. And while you are there, be sure to check out the Brain Health Academy that I have co-created with Sue Wilson of CTE Hope while you are there. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Velmer. Today, my guest is Dr. Traster, and Dr. Traster is a licensed chiropractor with a master's degree in sports health science. He is the CEO of South Florida Integrative Health in Miami, Florida, which specializes in post-concussion rehabilitation. Dr. Traster is an associate professor for the Carrick Institute for Graduate Studies and lectures around the world on translating clinical research into clinical practice. Dr. Traster has received a diploma in Chiropractic Neurology by the American Chiropractic Neurology Board, as well as a Fellow in Brain Injury and Rehabilitation by the American College of Functional Neurology. He is a Certified Chiropractic Sports Physician through the American Chiropractic Board Sports Physicians and a Certified Practitioner in Applied Kinesiology. He is a certified personal trainer with specialties in performance enhancement and corrective enhancement through National Academy of Sports Medicine. He has been a co-author of 36 case study publications in the Journal of Frontiers Neurology. He has been a keynote speaker at neurology conventions all across the world and has developed his own postdoctorate fellowship program on vestibular rehabilitation through the American College of Functional Neurology which he teaches to a variety of healthcare professionals around the world. So, Dr. Traster, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, Dr. Traster, I think I would love to have you start by just kind of letting our listeners know how you came to be um, a chiropractor and specializing in brain injury and vestibular.
1: No problem. So my background is pretty traditional. My dad's a pharmacist. My mom is a special ed teacher. I grew up playing basketball my whole life, and I really got to be a pretty high-level basketball player. And my first health issue ever, I mean, when I was younger, I had some asthma. But my first real issue I remember is when I was 13 years old, I was sleeping in a top bunk bed at a summer camp for basketball camp. And In my sleep, you know, the top bunk beds at the time didn't have any barriers, so my legs <laughs> right. kind of fell off the bed. I flipped off the back and did a flip in the air and cracked my head in the bed, in the bottom bunk bed. So at that time, you know, what did they do? I was, I was out conscious. I was knocked unconscious. I got rushed to the health cabin. I don't know who did it, but they stitched up my head, and they told me I was good to go so there's no imaging there's no concussion protocol at this time this is i think around 1995 1996 and i just lived my life and what's interesting looking back at it i realized from that moment on i started having some digestive complaints i started having some tightness in my legs i started having some a little bit of anxiety but i never really put two and two together and i just worked harder I, you know I, I practiced harder i went to school and studied harder and i just Found how to compensate. And then when I was 17 years old, I had shoulder surgery and woke up from surgery really just a different person. No one knew what happened, no one understood it. I went to, I don't know how many, probably 30 doctors, all specialists. And really for nine years, I really bounced around the healthcare community. And for me, it was an awakening experience because I came from a pharmacy kind of mainstream medical background, and I just assumed when. You have a health issue, you go to the doctor and they fix it. So this is my first take in seeing how you can actually get into the healthcare system and there's a huge gray area. There are things healthcare does really well, and there are things that people are kind of slipping through the cracks based on the knowledge we have today. So it took about nine years, and then I got diagnosed with Lyme disease. And so I got diagnosed with Lyme disease, I went to every specialist and you know, a few years later, it wasn't really feeling that great, and finally, I was a little bit desperate, and I was told to go to a chiropractor. I've never been to a chiropractor. I didn't really believe in the chiropractor, but I said, you know what? What do what, what I have to lose at this point? I went to the chiropractor. I didn't really believe him, but he made sense. I took some supplements I didn't really believe in, but I said, why not? And I started getting better. And from that moment on, I said I was actually doing something, studying for my USMLE. I was actually studying to go to medical school. And I kind of looked at myself in the mirror and said, you know what? There's so many good medical doctors. Some of my best friends are medical doctors. But there's a huge gap in the healthcare system. So what I'm going to do is take a little different road, and I'm going to try this chiropractic thing, learn what chiropractic's about, and then that's how I entered the chiropractic profession. As far as the brain injury part... I was very fortunate when I was early on in school, there's a doctor named Doctor Carrick, who most people may have maybe heard of, who helped Sidney um, Cindy Crosby in Pittsburgh for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He showed up at my school and started treating all types of people, not just professional athletes, but everyone from your grandma to, you know, the mailman to a pro athlete to an Olympic athlete. And I really got first hand experience working with Doctor Carrick for thousands of hours with hundreds of patients and really got to see what a high-level concussion rehabilitation program looks like and got to see how quickly you could change someone's life for the better with appropriate management of concussion. You know,
0: and that's so awesome. I'm so glad that there's doctors like you out there. You know, as you know, I know you're friends with Dr. Schmo. Um, He has been my doctor for just, just a little over a year now. And, you know, I spent two and a half years struggling um, you know, sort of like you probably did the, for nine years, you know, like what's wrong? Like why? I mean, I knew I had a brain injury. Um, well, I guess I should say I knew I had a concussion. Doctors weren't calling it a brain injury. Um, and you know, I struggled and struggled and I kept telling everyone something to do with my eyes. My balance was off. I'm dizzy 24 seven. And, you know, I just kept being told I had positional vertigo, which I have had, positional vertigo in the past and I know what that feels like (laughs) and it was vastly different from what I was experiencing positional vertigo was more like the room was violently spinning right and it it would stop when I moved my head out of the position that triggered it where this was just 24-7 dizzy no matter if I was standing laying down sitting (laughs) um you know and I even went to um the what's it called national busy and balance center here in St. Paul. And they also were like, I think it's just positional vertigo. And they even did like these goggles on my eyes, nothing like the VNG that you guys do. Um, but they just put these goggles on my eyes. And she's like, I think I'm seeing involuntary eye movement, but I'm just not sure. And I didn't even have a clue what that meant at the time until later. Um, and, you know, I just, I look back and it's just like, gosh, why didn't no one send me to any sort of rehabilitation? Why didn't I get any kind of rehab? And, you know, I get it that not every doctor can understand everything, um, but you would think going to a dizzy and center that they would, Um so I'm so thankful there's doctors like you out there and who who understand this vestibular system. So maybe that's the next thing I should have you explain is, you know, what is the vestibular system and how does it work and how does it you know, how why is it that we feel dizzy all the time after uh, No problem.
1: Injury? Just no problem. Just a piggyback or comment. Obviously I'm very good friends with Doctor Schmoe and he's a great doctor from Minnesota. He's got a really good clinic, as you know. And to piggyback your point again, new article came out December 19, 2017, in the Journal of the Cerebellum. And the topic is eye movement research in the 21st century, a window to the brain, mind, and more. So what you're talking about is really the future of how we're going to continue to look at the brain through eye movement. And these guys are neuro-ophthalmologists who wrote the paper, top of the field, wrote textbooks that I've read multiple times, But the reality is it takes some time to translate the research into clinical practice for tons of reasons. So when we look at the vestibular system, I travel around the world and teach on the vestibular system. But what that means is I really teach on dizziness, I teach on concussion, and I teach on how to use the vestibular system clinically for a variety of conditions. But I can tell you dizziness, as you've experienced, dizziness is one of the most mismanaged conditions in healthcare right now. It's a misdiagnosed, and then it's mismanaged because it's misdiagnosed. And we're going to talk a little bit this time about concussions and why concussions are being treated a little differently compared to how we treat them based on the research out there. But when we go back a few steps, let's talk about the vestibular system. The vestibular system really is one of the oldest systems you have in your brain. If you go like 400, 600 million years ago, you could see some animals that look like jellyfish. And the really only thing they had in their brain was a vestibular system, and that told them if they were tilting to the left, tilting to the right, if they were translating forward, translating back, up or down in the water. And that's what all animals started with, was a vestibular system to say, where am I moving in the water? Then about 200 million years ago, there was fish, and these fish started developing these little canals. And these canals gave the fish some, air, some information about how they rotate in the water as far as angular rotation. You know, I'm going this direction, I'm following this direction, I'm swaying this direction. And they develop these spinal muscles. And there's a huge link between your inner ear vestibular system and the muscles in your spine. So think about a fish. If a fish starts swaying one way, it can contract its spinal muscle to kind of propel itself forward. You know, so there's a very, very big reflex from your inner ear into your brain and your brain into your spine. So what really is the vestibular system? The vestibular system is the system that tells your brain where you are in space. Your muscles feed into the vestibular system. Your vision from your eyes feed into the vestibular system. The information from your inner ear goes into the central vestibular system in your brain, and then your brain says, where am I? In order to you to function in the world in any capacity, there's something called embodiment. And embodiment is your brain's ability to know where you are and where your body is. And if you have trouble knowing where you are in space, everything else is going to be problematic. And this is classically what you see with concussion. It's very common for concussions to cause vestibular problems, not just in the inner ear, like you were talking about, like a BPPV, or some type of inner ear disorder, which is what the EMTs are really, really good at checking and testing and treating. But what happens is with the vestibular system, many times it gets affected in your brain centrally. It's like taking a wet towel, wringing a wet towel and twisting it. It's those middle structures that get the most impacted. And when you look at the middle structures, you're looking at the oldest structures. So when you look at the oldest structures, what are you looking at? You're looking at the vestibular system, which is your balance system and where are you in space. You're looking at your eye movements and how your eyes move, and you're looking at your blood flow and how you regulate blood flow. So it's no, it's no mistake that concussions very commonly cause dizziness, cause problems with eye movements, and cause what we call dysautonomia, which is a problem really regulating blood flow in the autonomic system. <clears throat> so what we see with concussion symptoms it really depends on which pathways get affected, because in concussion, what you're really looking at many times is it's like taking a string, and you stretch the string, and then you bring your right hand one way and the left hand the other way and stretch it. That's what happens to the connections in the brain and in concussion, and the actual cells don't die, but the white matter of the connections get a little stretched, and they don't transmit information as well. And when there's a decrease in transmission from area A to area B, whatever information travels down that highway is going to be impacted, and that is going to create a symptom. For you, it was a constant dizziness. In BPPV, for example, And when you have little stones that fall into these canals, you only really have dizziness when you move your head into a different position or a specific position, and that's going to cause typically anywhere from about 30 seconds maybe even two minutes of dizziness until you either keep your head there and don't move or move your head back to center. When you start having dizziness all the time, that's something different. That's not BPPV. And, again, the number one thing you have to do is diagnose things correctly. Because If you can't make a correct diagnosis, then you'll never really be able to have a correct treatment plan unless you get lucky.
0: I'm. I'm going to stop you for just a second because I want to reiterate the point you just made. Um, you said with BPPV or you know traditional vertigo. Um, I mean, positional vertigo, sorry. Um, That's when you move your head a certain or or your whole body, you move it a certain direction and then you get dizzy. And if you move it back, you know, it passes. It it like goes away after, like you said, 30 seconds to a couple minutes. Whereas when you're dizzy all the time, that's a different thing. That is not um, positional vertigo. And I just want to reiterate that because dizziness is something that comes up in my Facebook group all the time people are like I feel like I'm dizzy I feel like my eyes are causing me to be dizzy I feel like my eyes aren't working right and they're not people like traditional doctors aren't making that connection for them and so I just really wanted to stop and kind of reiterate that point for anyone listening who's having this dizzy stuff and for me when I say dizzy it it wasn't like the room was spinning for me it was like I constantly felt like I was just kind of like rocking on a boat or like, like woozy, you know, like if you haven't eaten all morning and you just kind of get that woozy feeling, that's, that's kind of what I would feel. It wasn't like this like violent spinning like I had with positional vertigo. Um, so I just, I just kind of wanted to, to reiterate that point that you made. So carry back. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> no, but let, let me add to that point because the word, and again, this is what I teach on around the world. The word dizziness is actually a really terrible word. Everybody (laughs) uses the word dizzy, but dizziness could mean different things to different people. Mm -hmm. So when when I say the word dizziness, I break it down really into four categories. I say, are you dizzy where you're spinning, or the world is spinning like in a circle? That's classically called vertigo. That's one type of dizziness. That relates to more the semicircular canals in your inner ear vestibular system, and kind of those pathways that connect those canals. And then there's a there's a dizziness feeling, where people feel like you said like they're on a boat, or they feel like they're tilted one direction versus the other. Some people start to get double vision or blurry vision with this, and that's more that linear type motion. When you look at linear motion. Typically, we're looking at a different part of the vestibular system called the otolithic system that detects translational motion, where the canals detect rotational motion. So one system is going to give you rotational symptoms. One system is going to give you linear acceleration symptoms, symptoms like you're on a boat or like you're floating in the air, like you're on an elevator and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Then we say there's a type of dizziness that gives you lightheadedness especially standing up. You know, we always ask patients, how do you feel when you stand up? Do you feel any lightheadedness? And that's dizziness to some people. And that correlates a lot more with blood flow. So when you look at decreased blood flow to the brain against standing, against gravity, you typically have people that get lightheaded. It really depends anywhere from five seconds to a minute to two minutes to where they can't stand up without sitting down right away or they faint. And the fourth type of dizziness we describe is weakness. You know, I just feel weak in my legs. Things aren't spinning. I don't feel like I'm on a boat. I don't get lightheadedness, but I just feel weak in my legs. That's typically non vestibular And that type of dizziness where it's that global weakness in their legs can be from the cerebellum. It can be from the cerebral cortex. It can be from the muscle. It could be from a nerve. It could be anywhere. But it's typically non vestibular So when we look at dizziness in our clinic and the way I teach dizziness, we categorize in four different ways because each description gives us a different anatomy and physiology of why that person is dizzy, which is really important to create an appropriate
0: management plan. Yeah. And I think those are really good descriptions. And I know I had Dr. or I had a PT Bridget Wallace on a few months ago and in her clinic, she also, she's like, I need to get them to describe their dizziness to me because like you said, people just say dizzy and that can mean something so different to different people. Um, and so that's kind of what she does too. She breaks it down. Like, what are you feeling? What, you know, are you rocking? Are you spinning? Are you, you know, woozy? (laughs) Even woozy has different (laughs) annotations over different people, but you know, I know working with Dr. Schmo, once he got my dizziness under control, it was like, unbelievable how much better I felt I mean I had been dealing at this at the point when I saw him I was two and a half years out and I had been dealing 24 7 dizziness. like when I'd go to sleep I could feel my eyes moving around in my head and that made me kind of feel like I was moving and um when he got my busy under control it just opened up so much energy and you know it's like you said earlier your body your vestibular system helps you know where you are in space and if it is constantly having to figure out where you are I kind of equate it to like when you have your laptop open and you have like Photoshop and Word and something else running in the background and then you can't understand why something won't load. (laughs) It's kind of that same (laughs) thing you know when you've constantly got something running in the background your brain is constantly trying to figure out where you are and when you take that away now all of a sudden you have all this storage left right like you have all this memory area to work with on your computer. Um, So it's just it's such a relief to get rid of that dizziness. And you know, it still gets uh, triggered once in a while. I have, I, I definitely have things that will trigger it. Um, but like, like if I scroll too fast on my computer, you know, it might trigger it. Um, but I know my exercises to do to relieve it pretty quickly. So.
1: Absolutely. And the thing about the vestibular system is the way the grade works. And again, I'm going to make an analogy. That's not 100% accurate, but it's very close. And so we look at the brain, the brain receives information from your environment. And that information from your environment activates the brain. It's kind of like gasoline in your car, where your brain needs stimulation to work appropriately. Now, when you look at the vestibular system, the vestibular system is unique because so many areas of your brain need to know where you are in order for you to, order for them to function. So the vestibular system is very, very dispersed in the brain, meaning that there's an area in your parietal lobe that really is dedicated for only muscle information. There's an area in your occipital lobe in the back of the brain that's really only about vision. There's an area in your temporal lobe, the side of your brain, that's really only for hearing. There's no one area that's specific for the vestibular system. By the time it reaches the brain, those neurons, those cells also take in visual information body information, and the vestibular system goes all throughout the brain. So there's something called anterograde degeneration, meaning that when you lose activation to a certain area of the brain, that area of the brain starts to degenerate. And it starts having all these chemical responses that everyone's looking at to say, how can we stop these chemical responses? But the trigger is decreased activation. So when you lose activation from your vestibular system, which is very common in concussion – what starts to happen is areas of the brain that you wouldn't associate with the vestibular system start acting inappropriately. And you could start having any type of symptom all over the place just as that decreased activation from the vestibular system. So therapeutically what we like to do is find appropriate ways to activate the brain and get the activation in before we really consider other modalities as far as a neurochemical basis unless we have a real reason to. Because if we work just on neurochemistry and the supplements, which are all great, we do that in our clinic, but a lot of times in post-concussion, unless there's a red flag or if you're anemic or you're diabetic, typically we like to get the brain activated first, see the changes in neurochemistry, and if there's still symptoms, we then treat with the neurochemistry because typically in a concussion, the reason the neurochemistry is altered is from the decreased activation. So we want to, and this is what functional neurology or chiropractic neurology really does really well, is it looks at how can we appropriately activate the brain to create more balance and more function, and let's see how the brain recovers. And I can tell you right now, because we're putting out some research in our clinic, I can tell you without a doubt when you look at post-concussion syndrome in our clinic and the people fly around the world, just like they do with Dr. Shamel to come to the clinic with all of our patients are retracted recoveries, meaning that they are usually within three to five years post-concussion Sometimes shorter, sometimes longer, and they haven't recovered. No matter what they do, they're getting no symptomatic relief. I could tell you without a doubt, using their own symptom score, we're seeing a 76% improvement in five days in concussion symptoms, with just our concussion patients. Which is completely crazy. It's completely crazy. You know, it's really, really good, and we're really excited to publish the data because in five days, getting 76% change is just really, really amazing. And for all our patients, whether it's Lyme stroke, Parkinson's, etc. we're seeing a 67% improvement in five days. So it just goes to show, it's not me patting myself on the back, it goes to show that if you do appropriate rehab to the brain, the brain can change so quickly and neuroplasticity can happen so efficiently that just in five days you could have a massive improvement no matter how long you've been impaired.
0: You know, and honestly, when I worked with Dr. Schmo. I I mean, it was literally like two days, two or three days. Um, I, I, I didn't do the week intensive that he does with most people because I live here locally. So I went every day for, I think, 90 minutes. Um, and within two or three days, I remember driving home. And so my left eye was what had been bothering me. And I could never, like, put into words, like, I could still see fine. But, like, there was just something not quite right with my left eye. And I remember driving home and being like, oh, my God, the world is crystal clear again. Um, It was just, it was profound. And it was definitely more noticeable driving because, you know, you've got all those different motions and stuff going on when you drive. And it was so profound. And, I mean, it was in two or three days. And, I mean, I, I don't know where I'd be right now if I had not found Dr. Schmidt. like I really, you know, if I was, I would still probably be struggling from doctor to doctor, trying to find someone to help me.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So, and I could tell you, I'll give you another anecdotal story, you know, cause I teach around the world. So when I teach, sometimes I do rounds. So I had a patient in Amsterdam that I helped another doctor who brought him in and he had eye surgery when he was five years old and at five years old, his one eye was kind of in You know, so it looked like that one eye was crossing. So they had surgery to kind of fix it so it looked more straight, but his whole life it still came in a little bit. And so he's only seen in 2D because when the eyes can't look at the same target, it's really hard to see things in three dimensions. You know, it's almost like looking at the world in 2D and everything's flat and it's not crystal clear like you're talking about. And I could tell you just in one therapy that took about 15 minutes he popped up, and for the first time, he said, I can see 3D for the first time in my life. His anxiety got disappeared. His digestion pretty much got 100% better, and he had these varicose veins, and instant, like literally instantaneously from before the therapy had varicose veins, after the therapy, the varicose veins were gone. So just, again, just, re, just shows you how quickly, and it doesn't happen for everybody, but it shows you how quickly things can change if you do the right thing to the brain Especially if it's the right condition for your therapy, you know we don't accept every patient to our clinic. Some patients aren't mm-hmm. the perfect fit for our clinic, so we refer out and let the person who's the better fit for them manage their case, and we try to accept the patients that we think we could be most successful with.
0: Yeah, and you know i just I just can't say enough about functional neurology and and you know, I mean, it greatly helps me. And everyone I know that I have referred um, has seen improvement. And, you know, like you said, you do a very thorough consultation beforehand to even see if they'd be a good fit because there's definitely some forms of damage that you guys aren't able to help, and, you know, and that's, that's any specialty. Um, but, I, you know, that's it's why I'm so passionate about, my advocacy work because I know that there's stuff out there that really can help people and I'm passionate about trying to connect the patients and the doctors or the therapists. Um, and you know, it's, sorry, I'm stumbling here. Um, (laughs) but, but, um, you know, I just wish I had found help so much sooner, you know, two and a half years is a really long time to feel miserable. And I know there's people out there way longer than me, you know, five, 10 years. And you guys are still able to help them, right, even if they're 5, 10, 15 years out. Absolutely. It's
1: all every case is unique and individual and just depends on the extent of the trauma and the extent of their recovery and compensation. But, yeah, we've seen people 15, 20 years post-concussion with great results. An um, anecdote yeah. story, again, is a patient we discussed who found me through your Brain Health Summit that I spoke on with you and Dr. Schmel. And she came mm-hmm. down three years after her concussion. And, within, and her big thing was headaches, constant headaches, constant light sensitivity, constant sound sensitivity. You know, and then it was hard to concentrate in her job. In one day of care, the headache was gone for the first time in three years. And it didn't come back that whole week. By day three, the That's light so sensitivity amazing. and sound sensitivity was gone. Sound and light gone by the third day. And she was so, she did so well by the end of the week, we didn't even give her at-home therapies. You know, I'm just looking at her right now. So she, we didn't even give her anything to do at home. She had an 89% improvement in that one five days. So 89% improvement in five days. And then we said, just go home. We're not even going to give you therapy. And for two months, <laughs> she was symptom-free. Two months, symptom-free. And then all of a sudden, about two months, slowly some symptoms started to come. And we told her that might happen because we're not even going to give her, she's doing great, we don't want to mess anything up. So what happened is as symptoms started coming up, obviously she's nervous and because obviously symptoms are coming back. And so what we do is we work with our patients after that week. It's not just a five-day plan. We're with you till the end. And any way we can help you, we're going to help you. So we worked with her long distance because she's from Canada, and we gave her some therapies to do, added some protocols, and it took about seven to ten days. The last I heard, she's back symptom-free. So, you know, even sometimes when they only, you only have five days, things can change. We do our best to kind of manage our patients throughout the long term, as well as Dr. Schlow and other people, because we understand if you get an 80% improvement in five days, but five days later you're back to all your same symptoms, then there's really no point of us offering the service that we offer. You know, what we really want to do is have right. a long-term benefit for our treatment. And so we're really working hard at our clinic to try to figure out how we can capture the data of our patients six months. Nine months, 12 months, 24 months after they come to our clinic so we could better help people for their life and not just for a week.
0: Yeah, I had um, this past year, I had a really big flare up. I was driving at night. I was in uh, South Carolina, and they have the, the reflectors down the middle of the road instead of just painted stripes. And it was nighttime and that, that particular, and I knew, I knew as I was driving, I was like, this is really going to set me off. And I had to drive for like 30 minutes with those reflectors, um, you know, streaming at me. And I lay down that night. Yep. I was rocking and I was like, Oh man. And I did my little exercises the next morning and um, they weren't really helping. Um, I, I had really overdone it, and so I had to wait till I got yep. back home. And I went in, and Jeremy did a couple of different things with me that we hadn't done before, and it just it just stopped it. And you know, it was it's it's pretty amazing how our vestibular system works. I mean, it's pretty dang fascinating.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. And and let me just tell you a little bit about vestibular rehab with concussion because. That's really the main point I want to talk about because vestibular rehab and concussion has really become very common. You know, it's, it's been a growing field the last seven years. It's been done before seven years ago, but I would say the past seven years, it's becoming more prevalent. A lot more people are doing it. And why is that? Because, A, it's effective. But, B, I think what really happened in the big picture is about 2011 when concussion was just no one knew what to do with it, Dr. Kerr came on the scene and really helped not just Sidney Crosby, but a lot of other patients who haven't come out in the media, so I can't say their names. But what happened is a lot of these big clinics around the world and different professions took notice of that. And so what you're finding now is a lot of universities, a lot of hospitals are offering, you know, these two-day vestibular rehab concussion seminars, you know, and a lot of people are being trained on vestibular rehab for concussion. And while I think that's great, people are getting into more vestibular rehab, I also think two days is really just not enough to really master how to do vestibular rehab. So I'm going to give you an example. An example I see all the time from patients who describe vestibular rehab after concussion is that vestibular rehab made me feel better, but the first seven months I felt so much worse. Or vestibular rehab mm. always makes you feel worse in the beginning And then over time, your brain learns how to deal with your symptoms. And I see that. I don't know if you've heard that. I see it all the time on
0: Mm -hmm. message
1: boards, on my patients, from just talking to people. That vestibular rehab is used as a way to kind of get you to get used to your symptoms where your symptoms go up at first, and then over a period of months, you get used to it. So let me just comment on that first. First thing, I think that's not necessary. In five days with concussions doing vestibular rehab, we're getting 76% improvement in five days. Nobody really is getting worse, you know? So why is the, what's the difference? I would argue, and this is what I teach on, the difference is most of the research on vestibular rehab is done with inner ear disorders. So majority, not all, but a majority of the research is done with, you know, BPPV, vestibular neuritis, Meniere's disease, you know, acoustic neuromas, all different types of inner ear disorders that can cause, you know, strokes in the inner ear, that can cause certain symptoms, and then you do rehab for the vestibular system in those conditions. Concussion can have a peripheral vestibular disorder associated with it, but many times it's a central vestibular disorder. And when you look at vestibular rehab versus a central problem in your brain, versus a peripheral problem in your inner ear, I would argue that the management of that is almost exactly opposite. And if you try to manage a concussion patient like they have an inner ear disorder, there's a high chance that they're going to become more symptomatic or you might not even be able to help them or you might even make them worse. So let me explain why is that. When you look at rehab, and we're going to say vestibular rehab for right now because that's the topic, there's three things we really think about doing with our rehab. The first thing we really think about doing is can we fix the problem area? Can we fix the problem area? When you look at something like the neuritis, which means there's an inflammation on the nerve, there's a chance we if that nerve is damaged, that nerve is damaged. We're not going in and replacing the nerve. Now, what we have to do is say, you know, or a disease is a good example. What we do is say. You know what? There has been damage to a structure. What can we do to the brain to get the brain to compensate for the damage? There's damage. We can't fix it. How can we get the brain to pick up another area to do a second job? You know, that that guy's job, he can't do his job anymore. Who could work overtime? That's what we typically do with peripheral disorder. disorders. Not all of them. The BPPV, you could do different things to fix them. But a lot of them, you look at a compensation. When you look at a central vestibular disorder and you look at neurons that aren't dead but aren't acting appropriately or slowly dying or just becoming inefficient, there are ways we could activate that area that's still alive and actually make it better and make it normal. And that's always our go-to option with concussion is can we rehab the specific area? And just if you injured a bicep, you're not going to go to the gym and pick up 100 pounds and start trying to do bicep curls. You're going to start really light and do light rehab and over time get stronger and stronger and stronger. When you look at peripheral vestibular disorders, many times we move the head faster or we make the brain figure out the problem. But when you look at trying to treat an area of the brain, we have to look at it almost like a muscle. We need to start lightly. We call it the metabolic capacity. We can't do too much rehab that's gonna overload the problematic area of the brain. So we need to start light. And when you look at most vestibular rehab, most vestibular rehab is geared toward inner ear disorders. They look at compensation and something called habituation. And habituation means, like, let's say you're light sensitive. Habituation means you're gonna shine light in that person's eye until the brain gets used to it. Let's say they're sound sensitive. Habituation means you just play music until the brain gets used to the music. In concussions, I would argue that's not the best strategy. That's the last option. A better strategy is to actually work on the brain, do your rehab, and let the people be able to see light without being symptomatic versus shining light in their eye until they handle it better. And you see this all the time, (laughs) and my belief is that vestibular rehab many times for concussion is used inappropriately because the research hasn't caught up with concussion, with a vestibular rehab, too much of the research is on inner ear disorders, and I think people translate the research on inner ear disorder to concussion patients, and our experience has been it's really not appropriate to treat a person with inner ear disorder as you would treat a person with a brain disorder.
0: Yeah, You know, and I will add, so my neurologist, my neuro ophthalmologist and the Dizzy Balance Center rehab specialists, all told me I had positional vertigo, which I did not. <laughs> and that's what they wanted to treat me for. And, you know, like, I just had enough comments because I had experienced positional vertigo, like, 10 years earlier. So I knew that that's not what it was. So I kept, like, declining the treatment. And I'm really glad I did based on kind of what you just talked about. Um, but I do hear that all the time. People say they went to um, rehab and they felt way worse, but then they eventually started to feel a little bit better. And, you know, with Jeremy or Dr. Schmo, um, you know, it sucked the first couple days, the things he made me do with my (laughs) eyes and whatnot. Like, it sucked. It was uncomfortable, but it didn't make me feel worse, right? So
1: Absolutely. It could make you tired. You could be fatigued,
0: yeah, exactly. but we don't mind out. you
1: being tired <laughs> if your neurological findings stay good. So if you feel tired but all your findings keep getting better, you know what? This is hard work sometimes. Our patients, again, I, I'll tell you about our success, but it's not my success. Our patients do a lot of work. You know, they come here, mm-hmm. they fly around the world, they take a gamble, they spend the money, and they give us a chance, and they don't realize, I don't think, how much work they're about to get into Because we see them for an hour three times a day, for three hours a day. And, as you know, doing these little eye exercises or head and eye exercises or electric stimulation or some therapies that a normal person would look at and say, that's not a big deal. When it's you getting the therapy, especially if you have a concussion or brain injury, (laughs) it is just completely fatiguing. It wipes people out. By Friday and Thursday, people are exhausted because we are, what I say, conservatively aggressive. And that's how I teach My courses around the world, the doctors of all professions, is you're conservatively aggressive, meaning that you need to have the correct diagnosis ASAP. Correct diagnosis is essential because you can't have a consistent, appropriate magic plan without a diagnosis that's correct. You get lucky sometimes, but we don't want to be lucky. We want to know what we're doing, when it works well, and if it doesn't work well, how to change it right away to make it work well. So the first thing you need is a correct diagnosis. Dizziness, the most common diagnosis is BPPV. The second most common is vestibular neuritis. Meniere's disease, most people know about. Meniere's disease is extremely uncommon. Unless you have a really dizziness specialty, you're probably never going to see a Meniere's disease, or you only see a few. Meniere's disease is overdiagnosed. And the problem with dizziness is most, not say most, but there's a lot of dizziness out there that doesn't fit the textbook of what dizziness should look like because most of the textbooks are really about peripheral inner ear disorders. You know, the ones in the central vestibular system, in all honesty, that's the part of the brain that has a lot of research actively right now, because we just still don't know as much about it as we would like to know. So we're really cutting edge when you look at the vestibular system centrally in the brain. and look at all these eye movements. These are really the future of a lot of research right now to look at, A, not just for concussion, but um, schizophrenia, anxiety, different neuropsychiatric conditions. Everybody in the neuropsychiatric world doing research right now that's interested in the brain are aware of using eye movements as an indicator for maturation as you grow older, as well as indications of diagnosis of disease before the disease even manifests itself possibly. So a lot of genetic studies right now are saying, can we pick up these eye movement differences in certain ataxias or certain disorders before we even know if they have a genetic problem? (coughs)
0: So we have about 90 seconds left, Dr. Tresser, And I, so I just want to very quickly say my neurologist, she, so she thought it was positional vertigo, but she's like, it could also be Meniere's disease. And I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not taking that for an answer. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting how rare it is Yet she brought that up. <laughs> yeah, so, it's it can, it's a very so- common thing so much for being here today, Dr. Traster. This has just been awesome. I could chat with you like all day. I love listening to you. (laughs) Um, So anyway, um, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to everyone.
1: No problem. And again, anyone needs to reach out to me, I'm sure there will be a link on the podcast, but we're South Florida Integrative Health, and we're more than happy to help anyone in any way we can. And thank you for having me on the podcast. I I always appreciate talking to you as well.
0: And that's SouthFloridaIntegrative.com, right?
1: Correct.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So thank you, Dr. Trasser. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's show. And, again, just another thank you to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology. Find them online at MNFunctionalNeurology.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. I'll see you all again next time.